As we turn to Holy Scripture now, dear God, let the Word of God be made flesh within us. Let us hear what you have to say. Your voice, your voice, your voice. That's the voice we must hear, I pray, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Why is it we keep on doing what we know we should not be doing? Hmm? What we know we do not want to keep on doing. Why is it? And we feel guilty. I came to the office here at the church late one night this week. Needed to be in the uh, workroom to do some copying. So I made my way down the darkened hall to that room. I'm discovering of late how strong my appetite is. And how I really need to find a way for it not to have the kind of grip it has on me. Try not to eat so many sweets. Try not to eat in between meals, particularly at night. So anyway, I go into the, I go into the uh, copier room and proceed to turn on the machine and set up my, my project for copying. When out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that one of our staff hand wrote a sign in front of a plate of chocolate that read, Hi staff, this is for you, enjoy. I looked away from it and proceeded to move ahead with my busy errand when in an instant a thought crossed my mind it would sure be great to have a piece of chocolate right now. And before I would countenance another thought, I tell you the truth, I forced myself quickly across that room, ripped the plastic off, grabbed a piece of chocolate, wolfed it down and walked back to the copier. And another thought inside of me said, You nincompoop. What did you just do? Why did you have to have that piece of candy? And then I began to feel guilty. I thought about how Jesus denied his appetite for 40 days and 40 nights in a desperate effort to save the life of me. And I can't say no to a tiny little piece of chocolate. Why is it that we keep on doing what we know we don't want to do? Huh? We know we don't want to keep on doing it. Why? He said, ah, come on, do I please? A, a small piece of chocolate, give me a break. Well, I'm too embarrassed to tell you about greater struggles I have. And so I had to settle for something safe and small so that I wouldn't be humiliated in front of you. Okay? Once upon a time, there was an apostle who struggled with sin. And because he did, you and I can have hope today. Open your Bible, please, to the book of Romans once again. Romans chapter 7. Can't believe we're coming to the next to the last installment in our school year long journey through the book of Romans. 
This is our, next Sabbath is our last Sabbath, and you'll be gone, students. Some of us will just keep the journey going a little longer, if it's okay. Now, Romans chapter 7. What is this? Part 18. Title of the series is Wine and Milk. This particular study, put it on the screen for you, Unrelenting Battle, the Al-Qaeda of the Heart. By the way, if you haven't gotten the rest of this journey and you'd like to pick up those installments and download it onto your MP3 player and listen to it anytime you wish, go to our website, www.pmchurch.org, and it'll all be there for you. Open your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 7. I'm reading today from the New International Version. Now, if you got into church without a Bible, that's okay because we were waiting for you and we have a Bible in front of you in the pew rack. Take that Bible. It's the New King James Version. And if you'll turn to page 761, you can join us as we read in God's Scripture together. Romans chapter 7. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Paul writing, We know that the law is spiritual, But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Verse 19. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep undoing. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me that does it. Sound familiar? Boy, oh boy, does it ever. And in fact, ladies and gentlemen, it sounds so familiar that some people are offended with the thought that the mighty Apostle Paul could actually be describing his own battle and struggle with sin. Surely, this cannot be St. Paul. Oh, yes, it is. The entire passage is written in the present tense. This is sinning St. Paul. Just like sinning St. Bob, or sinning St. Maria, or sinning St. Hans, or sinning St. Chantel, or Dwight. A very present description of a very similar journey and struggle. You want to read something Paul wrote in the past tense? Go up to verse 7. Same chapter, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Now, scholars aren't quite sure how to translate those two Greek words. Is it God forbid or by no means no? Or if, 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 it were, if it were in the nomenclature of the third millennium, we'd say, no way, Jose. No way. No way. Is the law sin? No way. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. By the way, that's the tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet a smoker may have forgotten all about wanting to smoke until she sees a sign that says no smoking and suddenly there's awakened within her a craving I got to have a cigarette why is it 
that the prohibition awakens the desire. Have you noticed that? Somebody tells us not to do it and suddenly we want to do it. What we are forbidden to do, we tend to do. Forbidden sex. Forbidden drugs. Forbidden stealing. Forbidden cheating. It's forbidden for some crazy reason. Now I want to do it. By the way, that's why vandals destroy public property. There's nothing, in, there's nothing in destroying public property. What do you get out of it? Zero. It's just the adrenaline high of doing something which, is, which has been forbidden, and hopefully I don't get caught. That's why vandals are so childish. They have to have that high. So take a key and just scratch that car in the parking lot. Shh. Please. Augustine, the great church father, recalled a time in his confessions. He recalled a time when, at the age of 16, he joined, as he put it here, a gang of naughty adolescents, all right, to shake down a neighbor's pear tree for some of that delicious fruit. Middle of the night, shook the tree down. Was it because he was hungry? No. After they had shaken the tree down, they took the delicious prayers and threw it to, a, to nearby pigs. He was not hungry. Then why, Augustine, did you do it? He would later write in his confessions, these words, i put it on the screen for you. I stole something which I had in plenty and of much better quality. My desire was to enjoy not what I sought by stealing, but merely the excitement of thieving and the doing of what was wrong. Was it possible to take pleasure in what was illicit for no reason other than, than that it was not allowed? The sign reads, no coveting. Paul sees the sign and suddenly there's awakened inside of him a whole host of covetous desires. I've got to have it. By the way, why would, why, why would it be the Tenth Commandment that trips Paul up? I'll tell you why. Because it's the one commandment that nails us all. You see, some of us, some of us are, are very proud that we don't sleep with our neighbor's wife. Some of us are very proud that we do not steal our neighbor's possessions. Some of us are very proud that our church doesn't worship graven images. And then along comes the Tenth Commandment. F.F. F. Bruce, describing Paul's struggle. Take a, look, take a look at the words. The commandment which caused the trouble for Paul was the tenth, which deals with an inward attitude rather than with an overt action or word. Covetousness itself is a sin. It is indeed a basic element in most forms of sin. As Paul puts it elsewhere, Colossians 3, 5, covetous, covetousness is plain idolatry. It may be illicit desire or, get this, it may be desire for something lawful in itself, but the desire of such a self-regarding intensity, I just have to have this for myself right now, that it usurps the place which God alone ought to have in a man's soul. You have heard it said, Jesus once said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if a man gazes upon a woman with, with lustful, covetous desire in his heart, he has broken the seventh commandment. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the tenth commandment nails us. Who are proud, we keep the other nine commandments, including the Sabbath commandment. 
nails us just like it nailed Paul. Our thoughts, our heart, our, our, our very motives. Paul said, I've been nailed. So, verse 8, he goes on. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Verse 10. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Verse 11. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. I got nailed. I sinned once I saw the law. Well, you say, hey, Paul, piece of cake, then I know what we need to do. Let's just, what do you say? Let's just get rid of the law. Ah, Paul retorts, I knew you were going to make that conclusion. And so he hurriedly scribbles, verse 12. So then, oh, no, 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 no. The law, verse 12, the law, please. The law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Verse 13, did that which is good then become death to me? No way. No way, Jose. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Our problem, ladies and gentlemen, is not with the law. It is holy, just, and good. The problem is not the law. The villain is sin. The terrorist, the terrorist is sin. See, what we didn't notice a few lines ago is that Paul has very subtly, very quietly introduced a metaphor that's going to explode in just a few lines. Go back to verse 8. Let me show this to you. Fascinating. Verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me. All right? Sin, seizing the opportunity. What's going on here? You watch. This is the Al-Qaeda. The Al-Qaeda. Metaphor. Al-Qaeda. You know, who would have ever guessed a few years ago that Al-Qaeda would become a household name here in the United States and in the rest of the Western world? Al-Qaeda. A band of lawless terrorists that has writ with blood their defiant challenge to the non-Islamic world. Al-Qaeda. Which, by the way, struck our own Michiana this last week. Did you, did you hear about that? 47-year-old businessman Jeff Ake down in LaPorte, Indiana. There's a picture. They just released it this week. Surrounded by Al-Qaeda terrorists who have threatened to execute him. Taken hostage. Al-Qaeda. Paul describes sin as an inside Al-Qaeda. Terrorist. Insurgency. By the way, in all of us. All of us. Let me look at verse 8 again. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment. By the way, the Greek word for opportunity there literally means a base for military operations. Isn't that so? I.e., when sin infiltrates our lives, it sets up a military-like base camp for the internal insurgency of rebellion. It begins to stalk us in the shadows of our minds. A dark, hooded terrorist waiting, waiting, waiting for when we aren't watching and when we are least prepared and then with some sort of external remote gizmo detonates its explosive temptation and in a fire of flesh... We've been taken down again. The Al-Qaeda. An inside terrorist. 
operation. No, our problem, Paul's right, our problem is not with the law. Our problem is with sin. So let's read it again. Now now it makes more sense when we read it. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. There's a terrorist inside of me. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. The problem's not the law. No, 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 no. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. There's something inside of me. There's an insurgency inside of me. It's not me. There's something inside of me. It is sin living in me. Verse 17. Now, verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it. Something's inside of me, I'm telling you. I have tried to quit this habit over and over and over again. I have tried to drive this terrorist out of my life day after day, Saturday night after Saturday night. I have done everything I can and I cannot do it. Al-Qaeda is in my heart. Whoa. Verse 21. So, struggling saint, sinner, Paul goes on. Present tense, present tense. So, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Verse 22. For in my inward being, I delight in God's law. Hey, 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 hey. I love God's law. I want to be like David. I, I, I want to read Psalm 119. Verse 97 is, is the testimony in my heart. Oh, God, I, oh, Lord, I love your law. It is my meditation all the day long. I love the law. Oh, God, I love you. I love you with all my heart. There is something wrong with me. It, it must be that I'm not a good Christian, God. Why would I keep doing this? Why would I keep falling, Father? It must be that there's something defective in my journey. Am I going to be lost? Dear Jesus, will I be lost? Because I can't get the victory, it seems, over this which holds me hostage. Verse 23, but I see, I know what it is, Jesus. I see another law at work in the members of my body. And now Paul strips aside the veil for his metaphor. It's war and it is hostage time. You read it right there. I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a hostage and a kind of hostage of the law of sin at work within my members. I am caught in a war. And then one of the most anguished cries, I tell you the truth, the most anguished of cries in all of Scripture is verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Present tense. There was a time when commentators concluded 
that Paul here might be referring to the Etruscan king, Mesentius, who the, the, the Roman writer Virgil tells about. King Mesentius tied his living captives to decomposing bodies, and they were condemned to die that way. Rotten! Body of death tied to me. And yet now it's clear that this body of death is not a body of flesh. This body of death is a dead body inside of us that is taking us down. It's the body of sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will remove this utter bondage? And then, on the heels of this most anguished cry, comes one of the most triumphant Shouts in all of Scripture. Can you believe that these two go back to back? You get verse 24 and then the first line of verse 25. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is one of the most dramatic about faces anywhere in Scripture. You go from this anguished cry, miserable man that I am, to this thanks be to God. Wow. Isn't that something? But verse 25 is not over. There's the last half. Our last verse, let me read it. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Because, ladies and gentlemen, get it clear in your own little heart, please, even though we give thanks to God... Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That does not eliminate the unrelenting battle that will go on as long as you and I breathe that war we waged. Doesn't, doesn't preclude it. In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, commenting in his commentary, which I was looking at this last week, on verse 25. Martin Luther penned a, a line in Latin. You have it in your study guide. Pull it out of your, your worship bulletin now. I want you to get the English translation, all right? So you see the Latin there in your study guide. I want you to write in the English, please. Here's the Latin. Simul justus es et picator. What's that mean in English? Write it down. He is at the same time justified, write in justified, and yet a sinner. Write in the word sinner. My friends, we are simultaneously, get this, we are simultaneously saved saints and sinning sinners. Paul is not making light of sin. Get that, get that clear in your own thinking. He's not making light of sin. But neither does he trivialize the unrelenting struggle that every follower of Jesus Christ has to endure day in and day out. Too many of us, too many of us have trivialized the struggle of sin. And do you know why we do it? Because we're Pharisees, that's why. We have figured it out that we pretty much have the nine commandments down like the rich young ruler. We are convinced that our behavior is acceptable in the sight of God. We have left the tenth commandment out of our decalogue so that nothing judges our motives, nothing looks at our thoughts, nothing examines the way we go through life. It's all hunky-dory because i got nine of the ten down. And we're the ones who are the hardest. We're the ones who say, ah, you don't have you don't you don't have an ongoing sin problem. Once you become like me and Jesus, you'll be oh my, you'll be just fine, thank you. It's the Pharisee who won't confront the tenth commandment that says, Hey, you know, it's not a big deal. But not sinning Saint Paul. 
in the present tense. Wretched man that I am, God save me. And after he thanks God, he says, I'm still split inside. Al-Qaeda is still in my heart. So how do we live with this Al-Qaeda terrorist? You still have your study guide there? I want you to take this home. You brood over this some other time, but let me read it in your hearing. I wanted you to have this very practical how-to quotation. Hang on to this. Let me read it. A hundred years ago, these words were written. I'm quoting now. The Christian life is a life of constant conflict. It is a battle and a march. I'm telling you, it's battle from here all the way through to the kingdom. If somebody tells you it really gets, it doesn't get easier. It does not get easier. Trust Paul. If you don't trust me, trust Paul. It is a battle and a march. Every act of obedience, every deed of self-denial, every trial bravely endured, every temptation resisted, every victory gained. You bet their victories. Every victory gained is a step forward in the march to eternal triumph. Eternal triumph is not now. Eternal triumph is at the end of the journey. And it will be a battle and a march until we cross the last river into the promised land. There is hope for man and woman. Oh, I love this. Look at, look at. There is hope for man and woman, but let us never forget that the efforts we make in our own strength, our own efforts, are utterly worthless. Circle those two words. Our strength is weakness. Our judgment, foolishness. Only in the name and strength of our conqueror can we conquer. Oh, come on then. How do I, how do I get the upper hand on the Al-Qaeda terrorist within me? Ah, here comes now some very practical counsel. When we are pressed with temptation, all right, roadside bomb, poof! And suddenly you didn't know it, that that temptation is upon you with all its claws extended. When we are pressed with temptation, when unchristlike desires clamor for the mastery, let us offer fervent, importunate... Oh, uh, time out. What does importunate mean? That word means persistent. A prayer that just won't quit. You never quit praying that prayer. It's, it's persistent. All right, let me get, get a run at it. Let us offer fervent, persistent prayer to the Heavenly Father in the name of Christ. This, hallelujah, will bring divine aid in the Redeemer's name. We may gain the victory. What do you say to that? Huh? As seeing the sinfulness of sin, we fall helpless before the cross, asking forgiveness and strength. Our prayer is heard and answered. Those who present their petitions to God in Christ's name will never, thank you, Jesus, be turned away. What do you say? Never, never be turned away. Don't be discouraged. I'm telling you, some of you, like me, are really battling this thing. Don't be discouraged. I get so much hope. Having to journey through Romans 7 has been such a blessing for my own mind and spirit. I now realize what I'm going through, I'm not alone. The mighty Apostle Paul. You and I are not alone. We've got Jesus with us. Oh, my. Those who present their petitions to God in Christ's name will never be turned away. Last line, our help comes from Him who holds all things in His hand and the peace that He sends is the assurance of His love to us. Hallelujah. 
Did you see it? In fact, I want you to turn your study guide over. There is a beautiful threefold strategy for the Al-Qaeda terrorist insurgency inside all of us. How do we live with this unrelenting battle of the, insurg the inside job insurgency? Write these down, please. There are three of them. All of the blanks begin with the letter P. That's because I'm hoping you won't forget this even when your study guide is no longer with you. Number one, threefold strategy for dealing with Al-Qaeda inside of me. Number one, offer fervent, pers persistent prayer. Write it in. Prayer. Prayer in the name of Christ. By the way, sometimes they can be soundbite prayers. It's okay to have a soundbite prayer. When Peter is out on the water feeling like he is riding high and he loses sight of Jesus and he goes down, it is the shortest soundbite prayer in all of Scripture. He cried out, Lord, save me. And just like that, that omnipotent hand grabbed him and pulled him out of the water. There's nothing wrong with sound by prayers, but ladies and gentlemen, some of us have problems and temptations that are lifelong, and we need a lifelong prayer. In fact, I wanted you to see this Ministry of Healing, page 452. The life of the Apostle Paul was a constant conflict with self. What comfort. Constant, constant conflict. The greatest saint who ever lived. Okay, number one, offer persistent prayer. Number two, kneel at the foot of the cross, asking for two of these now, asking for pardon and power. Keeping it in the P so that you will remember it. Persistent prayer, pardon and power. Go to the foot of Calvary. God, I cannot do this in my own strength. Please rescue me, deliver me. And finally, number three, receive the peace. He says, I'll give you peace. I'm the Almighty One. You can trust me. I'll get you through. I'll give you peace. That His love sends our way. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, there it is. The place of our victory, the person of our victory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. You're right. Life is a battle and a march. But the good news is, even as the battle with our sins is unrelenting, so is the Savior from our sins. He is just as unrelenting. Just as unrelenting. Hallelujah. And Amen. Amen. Would you like to join me today in surrendering everything you have to Jesus? for the conflict that is still ahead. Would you? I don't know what your besetting sin is. I have a hard enough time with my own. Appetite? Pride? Purity? Integrity? Whatever it is, I want to tell you something. The battle is going to get harder. We need what Jesus offers. And so would you be willing to stand before God and heaven and say, Oh God, please, I choose Jesus. Hey, remember the St. Paul? The St. Paul somewhere else wrote, No temptation has come to you, but that is not common to the whole human race. You look at it. Don't sit in that corner back in your dormitory room and, and, and cry those hot, salty tears. Only I. No, no, no. The human race has tasted of what you face. 
No temptation is coming to you, but that is, not as, that is not common to the whole human race. But with every temptation, God will provide what? God will provide a way of escape. You can get there from here. You want to stand with me and say, Jesus, I know Al-Qaeda is here. I know Al-Qaeda is inside of me, Jesus. But by your grace, O oh Christ, be my deliverer. I'm not going to fight the battle of sin. How can I fight? Al-Qaeda wins. I want to fight the battle of faith. I want to fight the determination to hold on to you no matter what happens. Oh, God. Look at us. We jump to our feet. You know why, Father? Because we have felt the full force and fury of this insurgency deep within our souls. And we want to be set free. Oh God, we don't want to live the rest of our days without the peace that only our Savior can bring. And so, Holy Father, prevailing prayer, pardon and power, the promise of peace, don't let us forget, please, don't let us forget. The triumph is secure in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now to Him, and this is a hallelujah, and now to Him who is able to keep you from falling and present you spotless, faultless before God's throne with great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and honor, dominion and majesty, both now and forevermore. Let all the people say, Amen.